Well, good evening. Welcome to Calvary Chapel North Shore. And just stoked that you can join us via this medium, uh, YouTube or the podcast or however you're watching or listening. I just want to welcome you. And I really do pray that things are going well with you wherever you find yourself. I know that we're all kind of in this still, you know, in this very weird time um, in, in the world right now. And so truly just hope that you're doing well. Uh, for the family of Calvary Chapel North Shore, definitely look forward to um, getting back to normal um, gatherings at some point, hopefully here in the near future. Well, tonight we're going to take our text from uh, the uh, 11th chapter of Luke. I got tongue tied there, sorry. Luke chapter 11, and just going to read a few verses, but then I'm going to zero in on uh, one particular verse. So this is Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to go through verse 4. Um, I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to jump into some prayer and a few applications and and go our way. So Luke uh, 11.1 says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Well, Father, we want to pause right now and and ask your grace and your favor on this time as we open your word. Father, this is a very familiar passage to a lot of us. Um, And the danger of that is we can think we've got it down when perhaps there's things you want to say to us. And so, Lord, I would pray that you'd give us fresh eyes tonight, soft hearts. Lord, that we would hear what you want to say to us as a church, as individuals. And that, Lord, um, yeah, we would learn to pray. So ask this in the name of Jesus. Commit this time to you now. Holy Spirit, come and speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 11, familiar passage to a lot of us. You know, um, I was talking to my uh, friend Isaiah here before we started the, uh, the recording and just kind of dialoguing about how um, for the time being, Pastor Steve and I are just not doing our normal verse-by-verse studies through the books, our respective books that we're going through. But we're just kind of seeking the Lord each week. You know, it's a special time that we're in. We just really want to have our finger on the pulse of what the Lord would want to say to the church. And so with that having been said, you know, I was at the beginning of the week, at the end of last week, beginning of this week, just praying again, Lord, where would you have me to go? What would you have me to say? Where do you want to go with this next, uh, you know, passage? And um, a couple days later, I ran into a, a good brother in the Lord. I don't want to mention Austin's name. But uh, <laughs> ran into Austin and, and, you know, in passing, he just says, you know, I was thinking that maybe you should do a teaching on prayer. Here's the thing. I've been a pastor for like 20 some years. And um, trust me when I tell you, all the time, people tell you what you should teach about. <laughs> and I could probably count on one hand the times I've actually gone, okay, yeah, I should do that. But this is one of those times because when he said that, I really felt like the Lord was just confirming in my heart, yes, Jason, I want you to talk about prayer. So that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, tonight we're going to kind of begin what might kind of turn into something of a, of a mini-series, if you would, 
on prayer. Uh, obviously a massive topic. We couldn't exhaust it if we wanted to. But we definitely want to maybe take a fresh look at prayer. Prayer. Such a, like I said just a moment ago, such a, a massive topic. And, you know, when you bring up prayer, you get all kinds of reactions and thoughts that automatically pop into your mind. And what I want to do is just kind of narrow the scope a little bit of what we're going to be talking about. And, and really tonight, just going to have a starting point. Before we get into that, though, I just want to say this, like, you know, maybe as a way of introducing this massive topic, um, I remember several years ago, I was doing a kids camp at the church I was pastoring in, in Oregon. Our first through fifth graders had this massive camp we would do every year. And the topic was prayer. And I remember throwing out there, what is prayer? What is prayer? And these little guys, little first through fifth graders, man, they were giving me sick answers, you know, like all these great ones, you know, little answers of what they think prayer is. And, you know, prayer is an interesting thing. It's super easy to understand until you try to explain it. As soon as you try to like pigeonhole it, oh, this is what prayer is. And all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, what is prayer? I love um, Nelson's new illustrated Bible dictionaries definition. And their entry on, on prayer is fascinating because the first line that they have, it just simply says this, communication with God. Communication with God. I like that. I think that's a great starting point as to what prayer is. Of course, there's all kinds of other context and nuances and, and this and that that attach to that. But in its essence, isn't really that what prayer is? Communicating with God. There's, there's like I said, various ways. There's praise and thanks and worship and confession and um, petitions, supplications, intercession, all kinds of stuff that maybe we will, maybe we won't get into. But just for the moment, think about that. Prayer is communicating with God. That statement right there, honestly, listen, should kind of strike a little bit of awe in us. Because that concept in and of itself is amazing that we, God's creation, would be able to communicate with him. I mean, who are we that we should even be of, you know, able to do that? And what it speaks to me about is the gift and the privilege that prayer is. That we can talk to God, that we can commune with God, that we can have fellowship with God. And in the same way, as, as much as that statement, that little definition I gave you out of Nelson's Bible Dictionary, communication with God, strikes kind of awesome, like, oh, wonder, it also kind of saddens my heart. Because when you think about the great privilege that prayer is, it's a sad thing to think that prayer is one of the most neglected areas in our lives as Christians. I mean, even when I say, hey, let's talk about prayer, I wonder how many of you are like, oh man, maybe a little sense of guilt, like I know I should pray more. And that, that, that is not, by the way, the, the heart that, that I want to you know, um, communicate. But what I'm getting at is we all kind of have this sense, if you're a Christian, of like, man, I probably should pray more and this and that. The reality is most Christians, at least in the West, if I am even qualified to say this, who am I? They just don't pray. It's actually kind of hard to go to a church and find a prayer meeting where the prayer meeting is a focal point 
And it's kind of a sad commentary because, like I said earlier, what is prayer? It's communicating with God. It's really the lifeblood of our relationship with God, prayer. I want to read a couple of quotes that, um, these are quotes that I've read, reread, come back to over and over in my life. And, and they just kind of are, are from guys that really had a handle on the importance of prayer and just made some amazing comments. This one's actually from J.I. Packer from his book, Growing in Christ. I love this. He says, it is not too much to say that God made us to pray. That prayer is not the easiest, but the most natural activity in which we ever engage. And prayer is the measure of all in God's sight. What a man is alone on his knees before God, as he, now he's quoting Murray McChaney, that he is no more and no more. I, I like that because what he's saying here is what he's suggesting is that prayer is kind of the benchmark of where we really are with God. I believe that. I believe that you can really gauge where a church is. You can gauge where you are personally in your spiritual life when you take a hard look at your prayer life. Another quote that kind of is in that same vein by Andrew Murray, he says, prayer is the pulse of spiritual life. I like that. And, and then maybe just to illustrate the, the, the enormity of prayer and the, the, the wonder of prayer, classic Spurgeon quote when he says, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. I wish I could come up with statements like that. The point I want to make this right now before we get going is, is that prayer is essential. Prayer is the baseline. Prayer is the litmus test, really, of where we are as a church and where I am in my relationship with God. And so I want to talk about prayer. The, the passage I read earlier is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's not um, from Matthew 6. Jesus did teach that on the Sermon of the Mount. This is a different occasion, and you might have noticed that some of the um, lines were missing. It was kind of narrowed down a little bit, but it's the same idea. It's the Lord's Prayer, and I thought that would be a great starting point. But even before we get into the, the, the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, I actually want to just start at an even more basic place, and that is what led up to Jesus giving us what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that was the question or the request that came from the disciples. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And as I was praying about how to teach about prayer, I thought, isn't that a great place to start? That we would start right there. Lord, teach us to pray. And so what I want to do, I want to give us kind of the W's of what kind of led up to or what was involved with in that question. What I mean by the W's is, um, you know, the, the who, what, why, and all that stuff. And what I want to specifically look at is the who, the what, the why, and the when of this question. So let's start. First of all, let me read verse one again. It says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So first of all, very simply, um, and this is kind of what you do, by the way, when you're looking at a, a passage of scripture, you want to kind of observe it in these ways and ask the W's. The first one is who? Who's speaking? What's going on here? Well, as Jesus was finishing up a prayer time, it says one of the disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray, kind of speaking for the rest of the disciples. So very, very simply put, the people that are asking this are his disciples. They weren't guys outside the fold. They weren't 
like pagan worshipers. They weren't guys kind of on the peripheral. These are his close guys. Guys that were full on committed to following Jesus. And they're the ones that are asking, Lord, teach us to pray. Now that will kind of maybe mean more in a few minutes as I develop this. The second W is um, what did they ask? They asked, Lord, teach us to pray. The reason that that is significant is, um, and it's been pointed out by many, 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 many pastors, probably every pastor that's ever taught on this. I've said this before, but it's significant. I think it's worth mentioning again that the reason that he asked, the reason it's significant that they asked, teach us to pray is because nowhere else in the, in the Gospels do we find the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to teach. Lord, teach us to lead worship. Lord, teach us to do miracles. Lord, teach us to do all these other things that we so often associate with ministry. What was the request? No, Lord, teach us to pray. And I would suggest to you, perhaps, that maybe the reason they didn't ask, Lord, teach us to teach, teach us to study the Bible, teach us to lead worship, teach us to do miracles, the reason maybe they said, no, Lord, teach us to pray, maybe they understood something, that all those other things really flow out of a life of prayer. The prayer is where it all starts, where it all begins. Um, I think it was um, Luther, Martin Luther, who said, um, the man who has prayed well has studied well. You know, I can speak from authority as a guy who's been teaching the Bible for over 20 years is that I love studying. I love being in the word. I love praying or excuse me, you know, praying through the scriptures and studying and, and looking into them. But here's the reality. So often guys like me who love the word can neglect the prayer side of the preparation. Well, he says, look, Lord, teach us to pray because everything else flows out of that. The third uh, W about that's kind of leading up to this question, the first one, of course, was who. It's the disciples. Uh, the what. Lord, teach us to pray, not teach, preach, all those other things which are good. Um, but the third one, and this is where it gets maybe a little more detailed, is the why. Why did they ask him this? And this, I have to admit, there's a little bit of speculation coming into this. It, the text doesn't really say exactly why they asked that. So you can go ahead and please take this with a grain of salt. I want to suggest two or three uh, things that may have led up to the why they asked. Um, if I had to sum it up, first of all, I would say this. I believe personally what caused this one disciple, maybe speaking for the rest of the disciples, to ask or request, Lord, teach us to pray, is because perhaps they sensed Lack. What do I mean by lack? You see, I think what prompted the question or the request to come from them was they had been examining Jesus' life. And when they looked at his life and maybe compared it to their life and they watched how he operated and how he handled himself and how they lived and how they operated, I wonder if they couldn't help but think, He's got something going on that we don't have. You know, I, one of the things for sure that they saw in Jesus's life was a pattern of prayer. Je prayer in Jesus's life was conspicuous. Um, it's, it's all over the gospels. You know, I think about in Luke chapter five, I think it's verse 16. Um, it says something to the effect of how Jesus would often 
pull away and go and find a desolate place. In other words, there'd be times where he'd be with the crowd and with his disciples, then he would just pull away and he'd go find a place to go pray. I think about in Matthew chapter 14, leading up to um, choosing his disciples, what did he do? He went to a mountain and prayed all night long. He would pray before big decisions. He'd pray just to get away. I, I love there in Mark chapter one, they found him, you know, they're looking for him. I'll talk about this story a little bit more in a second. They're looking for him. Where is he? Early in the morning, up early, praying. Just praying, praying, praying. And we could go on and on about all the examples. The point I just want to make is, I believe the disciples saw a pattern in his life of prayer, a consistency, a pattern. The second thing is I, I believe that they witnessed power in his life from prayer, from prayer. As they were with Jesus, watching him minister, watching the miracles, watching, you know, the way he lived his life. And maybe it's good to interject here that when you talk about Jesus doing miracles and Jesus, you know, living this, this life, a lot of times we're like, well, yeah, he's Jesus. But you have to remember something. Jesus, though he is 100% God, became 100% man. And he lived on this earth 100% as a man, depending on the leading and the guiding and the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we have to. And the disciples saw him live a life of prayer, and there was a power in his ministry that was directly linked to that. The, the, the example that pops into my head is right after the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Matthew chapter 17, I believe it is, they're coming off this, this very literal mountaintop experience with Jesus. And as they come down the mountain, the first thing they encounter is a demon-possessed boy, this father who's asked the other disciples to, to, to cast this demon out. They're having no luck with it at all. And, and so Jesus handles it. I'm clearly paraphrasing. Um, but when they asked him, Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? He said, hey, this kind only comes out through prayer. And I think other versions add, and fasting. But the point is the power and prayer were linked together. And that's a true thing. In any ministry, prayerlessness will equal powerlessness in our ministry. We can teach and we can, we can you know, be eloquent and we can have it all together. But if it's not backed up with, with prayer, there's a sense of impotence in whatever ministry that we're trying to do. Well, so they saw a pattern of prayer. They saw um, power in his prayer. And I, I believe they saw a purpose in his life through prayer. What I mean by that is, you know, what's one of the main excuses that we use when we're talking about our prayer lives? I just don't have time to pray. I want to challenge you with that because, listen, I don't think any of us were busier than Jesus. I think once Jesus started his public ministry, there is none of us, you know, we could put our, all our lives together. We're not going to be busier than Jesus was. I mean, read about how there was crowds pressing on him wherever he went. He was constantly being bombarded with needs and people trying to get a touch from him or hear from him. And he's teaching and he's healing. In fact, if you go to Luke, or excuse me, Mark chapter one, you get kind of a day in the life of Jesus. And you see him healing people, you know, Casting demons out, doing all this stuff, late into the evening, teaching in, in Peter's house. And then it says, but early the next morning, before the sun comes up, he's there praying. And what's significant about that is when the other guys come, the disciples, it says, find him. And they're like, Lord, everybody's, 
asking for you. In other words, they're like, let's go. We got kingdom business to do. You're on a roll. Everybody's looking for you. Everybody wants you. And Jesus was like, nah, nope. Not gonna go do that. Why? Because he says, I gotta go preach the gospel to these other towns. The whole idea of that little scene is, how did how is Jesus able to say no to the pressure of the busyness to get sucked into that and say, no, I need to be about this particular thing? It's because he spent time in prayer. He was getting direction from the Father in prayer. And so listen, though he was busy, he was never in a hurry. Why? Because he was doing the things he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't all caught up just being busy doing things that weren't a part of God's plan for him that day. He was doing the right things at the right time and so there was a purposeness to his life. And I think a lot of us are very frazzled, even in the ministry, maybe especially in the ministry. We're so frazzled or, you know, we're all like kind of pulled in every direction. And could it be that part of that is because we're not prioritizing prayer and seeking God for the things we should be doing with our time? Not only did they, they observe a pattern of prayer, power in prayer, purpose through prayer, but I, to, I was trying to keep the P's, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in their personal intimacy in prayer. What I mean by that, I'm thinking specifically of John 5. Jesus was close to the Father. He would say stuff like, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. I only do the things that please the Father. He was in constant communion with the Father. And there was no doubt just when you would see him, I'm sure, again, I'm speculating, obviously it wasn't there, but I'm sure that there was just, you could sense an intimacy that he was connected with the Father all the time, hearing what he wanted him to do, doing that and just being close to him. So when you put that all together, going back to the question of why did they even ask, Lord, teach us to pray? Could it be that they just had a lack? They looked at his life and they saw the power, the purpose, the pattern, the personal intimacy. And maybe they said, I don't have that. And I want that. And maybe you're beginning to see where I'm going with this for an application. One last W and then we'll, 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 we'll wrap it up. The who, what, the why. But this is the kicker for me. When they asked him this. I mentioned earlier that this is a different occasion than Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is the famous Sermon on the Mount, which probably was towards the beginning of his ministry. This particular, um, you know, event happened at a different time. Well, when did it happen? One of the clues is actually, if you back up to verse 38 of the previous chapter, it's actually talking about Mary and Martha, but there's this little timestamp thing that helps us. It says, as they were on their way, Jesus dot, 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 dot. Well, if you kind of cross-reference that with the other um, Gospels, what you find out is they were on their way where? To Jerusalem. For what? The Passover, but not just any Passover, the last Passover of Jesus' life. What I mean by that is this event is happening at the very end of Jesus' ministry on earth after three years of ministry. Here's why that's significant. Think about it with me. Who's asking him? The disciples, what are they asking? Teach us to pray. Why are they asking? For all the reasons I just gave. But when are they asking? At the end of his ministry. You guys, the, these are the disciples. 
They've been with Jesus for three years. They've heard him teach on prayer. They've witnessed miracles. They've participated in miracles. They have lived with them. They've slept next to him. They've talked with them. They've learned. They've discipled all these things. And now at the end of three years, they're asking, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, I would have thought like, isn't that like disciple like 101? Shouldn't you have done that like week one of following Jesus? But yet it's at the end of his ministry, three years in to walking with him, that they're like, Lord, I think we need to learn how to pray. And I love that. I love that. The reason I love that is it's personal to me. I feel like it's my testimony as it relates to this idea of prayer. I got saved when I was 10 years old, 1983. You can do the math. I was 10 years old. I started, you know, I walked with the Lord. And then by God's grace, when I was 26, um, I moved to Northern Oregon. I was sent out for my church in Southern Oregon. And we planted a church when I was 26 years old. So that was 1999. And time went on. And then in about 2012, 2013, through a series of events, through various teachings, through people I knew, it kind of culminated in, a, in an event. The Lord brought me to this place. What place? Where I asked the same question, the same request. Lord, would you teach me to pray? Now, it's not like I'd never prayed before. Of course I prayed. I, I knew what prayer was. I, I agreed with prayer. I had times of prayer. But it wasn't really until 2012, 2013 that a real shift happened in my life because though I believed in prayer, obviously um, I'd probably taught on prayer and I prayed in certain ways, the reality was that prayer wasn't a real priority in my life. Now listen, this is how many years into my walk with Christ. This is how many years into pastoring a church. And yet I realized something, that my life really wasn't or couldn't be described as power through prayer, a pattern of prayer. I had to take an honest look at my own personal walk. I had to take an honest look at the way I was leading my family. I had to take an honest look at the leadership people that were around me, the, the way I was making decisions in family, in church, the way I was leading. And I was deeply, deeply convicted because what I realized was, in, if I'm being real, I am making decisions most of the time based on how I think it should go. I was very, very self-reliant and it's really, it was pride. It was pride. You see, the very fact that you pray denotes humility because what you're saying is, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do, God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I don't have what it takes. I need you. And I realized I, go th I was going through my day, making decisions, moving through life. And God was with me and God was honoring things. But I realized I was so self-reliant in every area and prideful and, and quite frankly, ignorant. And I don't mean that in like a negative, like real harsh way. I just mean like just didn't really know how important prayer was. And in about 2012, I can't remember if it was 2012 or 13, but it was October of one of those years. I think it was 2012. I went to a, a conference, and I'd been to many, many conferences. And of all things, this was a church planting conference. And the reason was we had a guy in our leadership we were getting ready to send out to go start a church. 
and we had gone to this conference, and it was up at Twin Peaks up in uh, Southern California after they moved the Bible College down to Marietta, but they were just using the retreat center. Be that as it may, we were up there, and one of the speakers, who I can't remember who it was, gave this teaching about prayer. And at the end of that teaching, he invited this group of pastors, if they wanted to come up and bow down and repent from their prayerlessness and ask God basically what I'm teaching on now. Not, I don't think this was his text, but it's the same idea. Lord, would you teach me to pray? And guys, what happened to me, and I'm not trying to sound all spiritual or whatever, I'm just giving you my story and how I can relate to this. I found myself at, at the altar, if you would, on my face, weeping, because I'd realized I'd been missing out on a real area of my life, spiritual life, and, and leading in a way that I just felt so convicted. And I, I think for the first time, I, maybe not in these words, but I was like, Lord, I really want to learn what it means to be a man of prayer. I don't know what that means, and I want to know what it means, and I don't have what it takes, but will you, in a sense, teach me to pray? And I wonder how many listening or watching right now, you've been a Christian for a lot of years. But I'm gonna ask you this. Have you ever actually requested that Jesus would teach you how to pray? Have you asked that? And if not, can I be so bold to ask another question? Why not? Why haven't you? And I want to suggest, and again, not in a tone of judgment or like anything like that. Very gently and authentically, I just want to suggest it might be because ignorance and your pride. That does sound kind of harsh, but bear with me. When I say ignorance, I, again, I mean it in the, the most like genuine kind of ignorance. Not like you're ignorant, but like you just don't know. And I think that's where a lot of us are. We just don't know how precious prayer is. We just don't know how close we can be. We just don't realize what's available to us and the privilege that it is. And we're just, I mean, we know the verses and we agree with it in principle, but we just by experience don't know. And maybe it's also your pride. We all have it, you guys. We're all stuck with pride in our humanness. And, and, and by pride, I don't mean cockiness. I don't mean like, you know, stuck up kind of pride. What I mean is, a self-reliant American, we can do this. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps kind of pride. And we bring that into our spiritual life. It's always interesting to me when um, you can tell when somebody has a low view of prayer because they tend to look at people that are always wanting to be in prayer as being lazy or not doing the real work. What you find out when you really press into this idea of prayer is that that's really where the work is. Not that we shouldn't do other things, not that we shouldn't be about other things, but you can always tell when somebody has a low view of pride. It's always like, hey, let's just do this. Let's just get it done. Let's just jump in. But the person who who's realizes, you know what? We need God in everything we do. They're the ones that say, Lord, how should we do this? Lord, we need you to help us do this. And it, you can just, they always default to prayer. Maybe your pride is keeping you from earnestly asking God to teach you to pray. And, and it might just be, quite frankly, demonstrated by the fact that you've never said that. Maybe you've never felt the need to say, Lord, teach me to pray. I wanna encourage you right now, right where you're listening to this, driving, watching on YouTube in some way or whatever, 
Just pause for a second. Don't apply this to somebody else in your life right now. Apply it in, in your life. Do you have the heart of that disciple that asked? Now, we're gonna hopefully next week get into Jesus's response and the pattern of prayer that he lays out. Uh, but I do wanna just say this much about how Jesus responds. What you don't get from Jesus is this. Ugh, are you serious? You guys have been with me three years and now you're asking me to pray? Or now you're asking me to teach you? He's not exasperated. He's not snarky. He's not like upset at him. Jesus, you just get the, the sense that Jesus is like, Heck yes. I don't know if sure if he would say heck yes, but he's saying like, of course, I would love to teach you to pray. Why? Because the very fact that they're asking him to teach them to pray is humility. And God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. And so I want to encourage you right where you are. You know, if, if, if you've never earnestly asked the Lord to teach you to be a man or teach you to be a woman of prayer, would you ask him that tonight? And if you have no desire to even ask him that, maybe ask this question. Why don't I have a desire? Why don't I want to be a man or a woman of prayer? Do, do I have a low view of prayer? Do I, am I just ignorant? Do I have pride or whatever? But I don't want you to just kind of let this go. I really want you to grapple with this. Have you asked Jesus to make you a man, to make you a woman or a young man or a young woman of prayer? And you know what? If you with humility and honesty and just like brave, just honesty about who you really are, come to the, to, to the Lord and say, God, I'm not a person of prayer. Frankly, I'm not even sure I know how to pray. I've been a Christian for a lot of years, but I want you to teach me to pray. I guarantee you, he's gonna meet you in that place. And he's gonna set you on it. You see, learning how to pray is, is much more than just learning a pattern or a strategy, you know, like I plug and play. You know, I, I say these things and I do this. I'm not talking about learning how to pray in that regard. I'm talking about learning a whole lifestyle of how to pray. You're gonna be set on a journey of going, I believe, deeper into your relationship with Jesus Christ than ever before. And I hope and pray that tonight you will, um, you will pray that prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. Uh, I'll close with this couple things that, that I just want to say. Um, I really believe that the need of the day in the church right now is prayer. We need churches that are committed to prayer. We need leaders that are committed to prayer. We need to be people of God that are committed to prayer. And I think one of the things that this COVID-19 fallout has done, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is it stripped away a lot of the peripheral things. And I think what's left is that people are saying, what really matters? What really matters in my Christian walk? I've talk, I talked to several people this week who said, I'm reading the word like I've never read the word. I'm praying like I've never prayed. Why? Because all the distractions have been stripped away and all of the fluff has been stripped away. And what's left is, at the end of the day, your relationship with God. <laughs> Prayer is the need right now. For I mean, for a, a myriad of reasons. Uh, again, if you allow me, I want to do uh, this another quote by somebody who I, I'm just completely love everything he's, I think I've read just about everything he's ever written, a guy by the name of E.M. Bounds. He says this, it's a classic quote. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better and new organizations or more and novel methods, but men who the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, 
The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but, on, but he anoints men and men of prayer. And certainly you could add women in that. The idea is in general. What I love about that quote, it was from the early 1900s. It sounds like something that should have been written like last week. But in, in, before 1910, he's writing this and saying, what the church needs today is not more machinery and moving parts and stuff. It needs men and women of prayer. And if that was true then, how much more true, I believe, is that now? We need to be a church of prayer. We need to be people of prayer. And have you come to that place We say, Lord, teach me to pray. Um, I'll, I'll end with, I want to give you some quick, practical things to do to kind of get started in this journey. Number one is this. I've already mentioned it 10 times now. Start by saying, have I asked God to teach me to pray? Have I humbly admitted maybe I don't know how to pray and just brought that before God? It starts there. Do that. But secondly, there's actually a couple of examples of how to practically pray right here in our text. Number one, or number two, whatever we're on, is find a place to pray. Did you notice this, that Jesus was in a place? It says Jesus was praying in a certain place. And that's not only true of this text, but when you look at the life and the pattern of prayer in Jesus' life, he would go to the mountain. He would go to a desolate place. He would go on to wherever. He would find a place where he would do nothing but go and pray, whether it was a garden, mountaintop, whatever. Now, of course, we'll talk about it later. You can pray without ceasing. You can pray in your car. You can pray while you're, you know, doing whatever. But do you have a place that you can go to to do nothing but pray? Which leads to the next one. You also have to have a time. You have to have a time that you go pray. Notice what it says in the text. When he was done. That means he had a starting time and he had a finishing time. There was a a set aside time where Jesus was doing nothing but praying. We should pray while we're in the shower. We should pray while we're driving, while we're doing other tasks. But where we really need to, I think, kind of press in a little bit is we need to have times where we're doing nothing but spending time praying, whether that's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour or wherever you can make that happen. Now, I know it is hard to find that time. In fact, you'll never find the time. You have to make the time. Well, I've got kids, I've got work. I get that. And I know none of us can bat a thousand when it comes to always having a time and always having a place. But you can do something. Uh, One of the great examples for me is Susanna uh, Wesley, the the mother of Charles uh, Wesley and um, of Charles, Charles Wesley? What's the other Wesley brother? I drew a blank. Anyway, the Wesleys, she had nine children. And she's famous for her times of prayer. Well, she couldn't go off in a desolate place when you have nine kids running around. So, so here's what she did. She took her apron and she put it up over her head. And all the kids knew when mom's got her apron over her head, don't bug her because she's praying. And maybe that's just you. You just got to go find a quiet, I mean, go in the bathroom and shut the door just for a few minutes, whatever. But find a quiet time, find a quiet place. That is the lifeblood of a prayer life. You have to have those things. And so do that this week. Try to say, you know what? And I would encourage you, by the way, don't say, I'm going to pray for three hours. Maybe start a little more realistic and, realistically and say, I'm going to go pray for 10 minutes or five minutes, or 15 minutes, where I'm going to turn off my phone, I'm just going to grab my Bible, I'm going to go for a walk, or just find that little place wherever I can find it, and I'm just going to spend that time talking to God. Because listen, the best way to learn how to pray is to pray. You can read books on prayer. In fact, I encourage you to do so. 
You can study the teachings on prayer, encourage you to do so. But the only time you actually learn how to pray is when you start praying. Amen? Well, I'm excited to kind of take, uh, you know, I'm not sure how far this will go. Maybe uh, next week and the week after, maybe further, I don't know. But we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about prayer. But it all starts here. Lord, humbly I come before you. Teach us, teach me to pray. And he'll honor that prayer if it comes from your heart. And he'll, he'll, he'll do just that. He'll set you on this journey of learning to have a prayer life. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. And I just want to lift up uh, those who are hearing this. And I just, I wonder if there's maybe a, a few that this is more than just another Bible study. But you're really speaking to them that this is a direction you want their life to go. And maybe it even involves repentance for making excuses or spiritual laziness, for pride, for just maybe ignorance and just saying, not really having a high view of prayer or whatever it may be, but I just sense that there are certain people listening right now that you want to take them on a whole new journey. And it starts with just a humble, honest request. Lord, would you teach me to pray? Because I don't know how, but I want to. Honor that prayer, Lord. And Father, would you make us a church of prayer? Would that be what people think of when they think of our church? That's a praying church. They may not have all the technology, they may not have all the cool toys and bells and whistles, but they pray. Lord, may that be what really kind of describes our families. Lord, our lives individually, we want to be men, we want to be women of prayer. Lord, help us. We love you, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic rest of your evening.